intercessors be in prayer well let's go ahead and open up tonight lord i thank you as we get into the word i thank you lord for speaking through me everything that needs to be said tonight under the anointing holy spirit as you even now are moving upon every one of us to give you our best ear our full attention our focus i thank you lord for hearing answering the prayers over these sermons that that all of us are tuned into what you're saying and as you speak through me living seeds of truth sown in a good soul of hearts and minds and lives Water by the Holy Spirit, taking root and growing and producing hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And it's like the winds of the Spirit carrying this seed out among the nations. It will get where it's supposed to accomplish what it's supposed to. And the birds of the air try to steal the seed, so we as a church bind anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word. It goes from it now in Jesus' name. But Lord, we thank you for everything accomplished in and through this time that you will to be done. A powerful, effective time in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we get into this, this might be a little bit of a shorter word because it's not a deep message tonight, but rather we're dealing with the subject of encouragement for specifically River of Life. I'm not saying this is necessarily for everyone out there, but I think that everybody can glean something from it. But those that have been praying in River of Life for some time, I really feel that there's a time of a breakthrough right before us. And Micah 2.13, this is the scripture. <clears throat> it says this, The breaker, the Messiah, will go up before them. They will break through, pass in through the gate, and go out through it. And the king will pass on before them the Lord at their head. So that's what's about to happen, is the Lord going before and breaking something open, Okay. And I, I said this last week, but I sense very strongly that there will be a window of time where something will open. So with that said, when you look at the scriptures, I want you to think about a couple of things. Number one, Joshua, when it was time, the children of Israel were in the wilderness, and when it was time for them to go into the promised land, what did they do? They put the ark to go before them. And when the ark entered into the Jordan, the Jordan parted just like the Red Sea and dried up, and they went through on dry ground. But it was a symbol, the ark was, of the presence of God, and it's like the Lord going before them, okay? And then we know the story that Joshua then had to circumcise those that were of the younger generation that grew up in the wilderness because their rebellious parents didn't do what they were supposed to. Then Joshua celebrated Passover with them to kind of renew them being God's blood covenant people. And then the walls of Jericho came down. There was an angel that appeared to Joshua, and God gave them a supernatural victory. How many knows that the walls of Jericho, that victory was not something that was strategized by people. That was 100% a supernatural victory that God himself did. He just simply told them to do certain things, and they did it out of obedience. And then when Joshua continued his conquest through the land of Canaan, over time, he began to put different tribes in different areas, and it eventually became that the area called Shiloh became the resting place for the tabernacle of Moses, and that's where the priesthood was established for 400 years or so, 
and the ark was there. But the problem was, and this is what I wanted to get to tonight, the problem was that you're dealing with that period of the judges. Because after Joshua conquered, he did what God called him to do. He conquered the land of Canaan, and he put the various tribes where they were supposed to be. But it says in the Bible that when Joshua and that generation died, there was a generation younger than them that came up that did not know the Lord. That's the only thing that I can find that, that I'm not saying specifically Joshua, but that generation did not raise up younger people to know the Lord. And let me tell you, and everybody please hear me look this way, you can lose pretty much everything in one generation if you don't pass it to the next generation. You, and you have to really deliberately do this. And I think about through Scripture, you never read one time anything positive about the sons of the prophets. What in the world is that about? And I think about Samuel, who was such an amazing man of God, and he tried to use his sons to be judges for Israel. But the Bible says about Samuel's sons that they didn't follow the Lord like he did. They perverted justice. So my point is this, that you've got to pass it to the next generation, which led to this problem. In the book of Judges, you can read where they continually were up and down. I mean, it's, if you just read the book, you're looking at hundreds of years here, but it's like you read in one chapter, they backslid, God allowed the enemy to come in, and then God raised up a judge, they repented, and he delivered them and restored their fortunes, and then back around we go. And that's basically, I just gave you the book of Judges. Until Samuel. And Samuel was the one that transitioned from that time period to um, ultimately to King David. And God led a great revival there. But here's, here's something I want to mention. At the end of the book of the Judges, and you go into Samuel's day, Samuel was kind of the bridge between them. But there was a high priest by the name of Eli. And my, my feeling about Eli, a lot of people are really rough on him. But I think Eli probably was a good man, and I, I know for a fact he knew the Lord. I believe he loved the Lord. And you could see the fruit of his ministry is quite powerful. Like, for example, with Hannah. He blessed her, and she had a supernatural pregnancy and all that. So Eli was a powerful man of God, and he was the one that raised up Samuel, and Samuel became an amazing man of God. And so don't, don't be too hard on Eli, but the problem is this. This is where God got very angry with Eli. His two sons were wicked. Okay, Hophni and Phinehas, they were evil men. And the reason why God was so angry with Eli was because Eli, Eli should have removed them out of the priesthood. It didn't mean he couldn't see them on holidays, okay, but they were not to inherit the priesthood. And Eli would not do that for some reason. And if God himself did not intervene and, and have them executed, when Eli died, those evil men would have been the ones that were leading the priesthood. Think about that. And so if you read about their lives, Hophni and Phinehas were evil men. Now, what the problem was this. In the days that Eli was not dealing with things the way he should, and the Philistines came in to attack Israel. And when the Philistines came in and they, their military began to go on a conquest, here's what happened. Hophni and Phinehas, the two evil sons of Eli, decided to bring the ark on their shoulders and take it into battle. And because there was sin in the camp, 
God allowed a great defeat for Israel. You see, you can't have wickedness in the priesthood like that. You know, these guys, Hophni and Phinehas, were evil men. They were unrepentant, and they were the ones, what, carrying the ark into battle? So, see, you can see in the days of Joshua that righteous priests were carrying the ark in front of Israel. The waters parted, and they eventually saw Jericho conquered, etc. But whenever you have Hophni and Phinehas carrying the ark, Israel got defeated. Not only was Israel defeated in battle that day, but the Philistines stole the ark. Nothing like that had ever happened in the history in Israel. And it so shocked Eli. Of course, this was God's judgment that Eli, when he heard the news, he fell backward and it snapped his neck and he died, which was God's judgment on him. And both of his sons died in battle. But that day, the glory was lost. And I think about in, in my personal experience, how many times I've seen things like this. And I'm, I'm trying to encourage you guys, wherever you're at spirit, spiritually, how old your children are doesn't matter. But you've got to make sure and pass everything you can to the next generation. And not only your children, but your grandchildren. Because everything that you have with God can be lost if, they, if it's not passed to them. It'll go with you to the grave, you understand? And then they're going to go on without it if you don't pass it to them. But you have to make it a deliberate point to teach them what you know and pass it to them, bless them, pray over them. All right, so here's what happened when the ark was stolen. In some ways, it's a little bit of a funny story to read, but at the same time, I'm sure the Philistines didn't think it was funny. Now, the Philistines were an evil Canaanite tribe. How many remember reading about the Canaanites? When you read about overall what was going on in Canaan, Canaan was a place before Joshua got in there that was absolutely filled with witchcraft, occult practices, um, various idols and altars that were made to you know, demon gods and what we would call Satan worship today. They had that all through the land. There was even the Nephilim that were there. As a matter of fact, it was out of the Philistines that Goliath and his brothers came out of. You see, the Nephilim were there. And so the Philistines were a very evil tribe. And when they stole the ark, here's what they did. They made a big mistake and they took the ark of God. Okay, you guys could tell me what's in the ark. You know, they know. But they took the ark of God, which represents God's throne and his glory, and they took it into their temple to their demon god that they worship, which was Dagon, which was a fish-headed <laughs> idol because they, they live by fishing. And so they had um, this half-man, half-fish demon god idol that they worship. I mean, how ridiculous is And so the king would go in there with his leaders, and they would pray to this thing. But here's the mistake they made. They took the ark of God, and they put it in there. And so the next day when they came in, Dagon had fallen before the ark. His head broke off. Both of his hands broke off, <laughs> and God judged Dagon, okay? Then the various cities in, in uh, Philistia that had this, this ark of God, God caused things to break out in their midst. They started getting tumors. They started having plagues break out. And the people of that city determined that, hey, look, this is happening because of this ark. And so they would send it to the next city. 
then it would break out there. Then they would send it to the next city, and it would break out there. I mean, God was, was so heavy-handed on the Philistines. He was causing plagues. One of them was that they were being overrun with mice and everything that goes along with that, okay? Also, various tumors and sicknesses. And so finally, the leaders of the Philistines said, we need to get rid of this big golden box because it's causing nothing but problems for us. And they were so goofy, they didn't know anything about God. So here's what they did. They said, well, what can we do? They said, well, we'll, we'll send God an offering. So they make these little golden mice and golden tumors to represent, you know, what was going on in their midst. And they put it on an ox cart because they didn't know what to do with the thing. They put it on this cart, and they took a milk cow, and they said, well, we'll remove the calves. from Because, you know, usually a mama cow is going to go to where, you know, the calves are that are hungry, that are, that are whining for her to come feed them, you know. And they said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this mama cow, and we're going to put this cart, attach it to her. We're going to put this ark on it, give God these golden tumors and mice, and we're going to send it back. And if the cow keeps going straight, even though she should turn to the left or right to go to her calves, if she stays straight, we know that the hand of God is in this adventure. And so they sent the mama cow down the road. And she never turned to the right or to the left. She kept going straight and brought the ark back into the camp of Israel. And, of course, when they received it, there was great joy. But we have to guard the glory one of the things that concerns me the most in all of this story is the loss of the glory of God. You know, in my personal experience, I remember in the days when the 90s revivals were happening, I mean, it was so incredible what God was doing. But to see on the other side of revival, there, there's people like me that are forever changed and, and God did a deep work in us, okay? But there's also a lot of people that, that backslid and got away from the glory. I'm not saying that they're on their way to hell or anything, but many of them lost the glory. They, they lost the revival. And one of the problems, I would say, from the 90s revivals is that some, for some reason, just like the Joshua generation, something was not passed to the next generation the way it should be. And that's not always the fault of the spiritual parents because how many knows the spiritual children have to also want it? And they have to receive what God has for them. But when the ark was restored back to Israel, they simply put it off to the side. And think about this for a minute. The tabernacle went on in its duties for another 100 years without the ark. Think about that for a minute. How many places today go through a religious ritual they call their church service every week, whatever. I'm not picking on anybody. Every denomination, every non-denominational church across this nation and many around the world go through their religious ritual every week, and there's no glory in their midst. So they were going for 100 years without the ark. You would think that they would sense the presence of God being gone, and that they would be saying, where's the ark? We've got to get this thing back in the house of God. And I remember reading, it really grieved me when I read this in the days of Ezekiel, that God told Ezekiel, I want to show you something. And he took him into this vision. And he brought him to the temple of that time. 
And he took him into the outer court of the temple. And how many are familiar with the tabernacle? I've done a lot of teaching on this, so you should get a general idea. He was in the outer court, and he was seeing like this big idol. And the God showed him, think about that for a minute. It's one thing to have an idol out on a hill. That's bad enough in Israel. But they had it in the temple area, okay? And God said, you'll see worse things than this. Took him around and said, I want you to dig through the wall. He's in a vision. He's digging through the wall, gets in there. And he sees that they had like almost like what I would picture hieroglyphs or something. They have drawn all kinds of various gods and things inside the temple on the walls that they were worshiping and praying to. And the, the sons of Aaron were in there burning incense to these things. And it so grieved the Lord, he gave them space to repent. It so grieved him that his presence, Ezekiel saw this, he wrote about it. God's presence began to lift up off the temple and began to leave. And it's like it would go just a little ways and stop as though God was waiting for somebody to recognize, hey, I'm leaving here, and say, please don't go. But nobody ever said anything, and God's presence just kept departing, kept departing, and pretty much it got to a place where God had completely abandoned the temple. And that it kind of, the opposite of that to me was on the day when Jesus had raised from the dead. How many are familiar with the road to Emmaus? And the disciples were walking with Jesus because they didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus had veiled himself, and he was talking to him, and he said, why are you guys so downcast, you know? And the disciples were saying, are you somebody that's just, just got here or something? I mean, this great prophet just died. And Jesus was walking with them, and as he began to talk to them about the things of God, they said amongst themselves, our hearts began to burn in us. And when Jesus had walked with them, he was turning like he was going to leave, and they said, wait, please don't go. They didn't even know it was him. And they begged him to stay, and so he stayed and ate with them. There's something about cherishing the presence of God and not losing the presence of God. And I've studied historic revivals, and I know that in the Sousa Street revival, man, history records the presence of God was there so intense. Multiple times, the, the fire station was called because people saw a literal fire on top of the building, just like you read about in the Bible over the tabernacle. The firemen got there. There was no literal fire. It was a spiritual thing. Even in the meetings, people said that they would see the cloud of God's presence there all the time. I mean, it was a regular occurrence that the, they could see literally like a cloud of God's presence. And in that atmosphere, tremendous healings and miracles took place. But William Seymour so cherished the presence of God, he, he did not care. I studied him. He was going to do whatever it took to keep man's hands off this. He was not going to let anybody control the revival. He wasn't going to let man kill the revival. In fact, somebody he loved, Charles Parham, who had been a spiritual father to him and a, and a minister, came there, tried to take over the thing, and, and was being a heavy-handed and oppressive, and Seymour had to padlock him out. But he was determined, I am not going to lose the presence of God. Even if that means I have to be rejected by a spiritual father, somebody I love, I'm not going to lose this. So in the days later on, now I'm going to fast forward quite a bit. The ark had been lost in the, in the tabernacle for 100 years. Now, fast forward, 2 Samuel 5, 18. 
David had come to power by now, okay? So David had been through all of his cave dwellings, hunted by Saul. And finally, David had been anointed king over Israel. Saul had died at the hands of the Philistines. And so the Philistines decided that they're going to try to test David's mettle and see what he's made of and see if he was going to be a man of war, somebody that's a threat to them. And so as soon as David came to power in Israel, in Jerusalem, the Philistines began to attack immediately. And I'm going to read it to you. The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the Valley of Rephaim, which is a place known for the Nephilim strongholds, okay? And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against these Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up. I will surely deliver them into your hand. And David came to Belperazim, and he smote them there and said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the bursting out of great water. So he called the name of that place Belperazim, which means the Lord breaking through. And there the Philistines left their images, and David and his men took them away. I believe when you, when you think about these things, a lot of times we read over this and we don't stop and really think about something here. This was payback time. The Philistines had stolen the ark in battle, and God said, you know what? I'm going to have David steal all your gods now and strip you from them. So this was an eye for an eye, if you can see that. And so now the Philistines came again. They came up and spread themselves out in the Valley of Rephaim again. Again, think about this, a satanic stronghold of the past where the Rephaim used to dwell and worship like they did. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said this, how many knows it's important to hear from God? How many times has John Davis told all of us, you can have all the ideas in the world, Everybody can, can talk about what they think needs to happen. He says, but wait a second, what's God actually saying? If he said that to me once, he said it to me a thousand times. He wanted to make sure that was drilled into me. Because at the end of the day, we can have a lot of good ideas that are not God. So anyway, God gave David a strategy. Just like with Joshua, when Joshua saw the walls of Jericho come down, God told Joshua, he said, march around it and then blast the shofar and shout and I'll do it. Well, God told David this, don't go up like you did before, but go around behind them and come upon them from the opposite direction by the mulberry trees. Wait there, look at this, and when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the trees, then act promptly for then the Lord has gone out before you to smite the army. And that's what I felt. Remember we opened with Micah? The Lord will go before you. Just like in Joshua when they sent the ark before them. The Lord had to go into battle in front of David. And when he did, David did as the Lord commanded him and he smote the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So God gave him a great victory. But David had to get a God strategy. Let me warn you that sometimes something that worked in the past won't work again. If David had just assumed that, well, I defeated him last time, let's just do the same thing again, it could have resulted in a defeat for David. But every time David was going to battle, he said, Lord, what are you saying? And God would tell him what to do, and then he would obey that. 
So we have to get to a place where we learn to hear from God and we learn to hear what God wants us to do in strategies in prayer. And my wife will tell you, I learned this a long time ago, that you have to know exactly how to pray about something before you really start praying about it. She'll know what I'm talking about because sometimes we've been in situations where we really need God to do something. And I'm like, Lord, how are we going to see this happen? And God will tell me something. And as we begin to pray about that specific thing, we will see God do that specific thing. But if I wasn't careful, I could have been praying something altogether different that seemed like a good idea. So you have to start hearing from God. And so here's kind of where I wanted to go with this tonight. Again, it's not a long sermon, but for God to go before us, we've got to get a God strategy. And I believe that's what God's saying to me also, River of Life, for you, is that God is about to give us some major, major breakthroughs. And I feel the Lord saying there's about to be a window of time. Something's going to open, and it must be seized when it's open. And if it is, it's going to result in a door of revival that's going to open as well. And so there's something that God's going to pry open for us to go through. And I know there's a lot of people new here that, but years ago, I very seldom have I ever had, I mean, I can count on one hand times that God really gave me like a, a real significant vision. Like in this one time I'd gotten on the other side of this big giant being that, you know, was glaring down at me. But once we got on the other side of that giant, like that Goliath, there was, it looked like the Grand Canyon, but a bridge appeared to go through. Remember that? That's what I see. Something is about to open that's a God strategy that God's going to give us where we can go through and begin to see things that we've been praying about. So when David conquered the Philistines, David began to hunger for the presence of God. David was somebody that loved God's presence, and he had found out that the ark had been lost for 100 years and was off in somebody else's dwelling that was watching over it and david wanted the ark of god in jerusalem with him and see he goes there and he gets the ark and they bring it back and let me warn you about this the first time david did this he he wasn't of a priestly bloodline david was of the tribe of judah so he didn't know what the bible said about these things this would have been something if you were a descendant of aaron or a levite you would have known and so David thought, well, the Philistines did it. So David puts the ark of God on a cart, and he has ox, you know, driving the cart or whatever. And whenever they were going along and they were praising God, but then the ox cart stumbled, and Uzzah tried to grab it, and, it, and he died that day. So David was afraid, and so he put the ark in Obed-Edom's house. And let me tell you, we have to be careful how we handle the presence of God. Because if we're not careful, people can put their hand to it. And just like William Seymour guarded that presence, he was not going to let man come in and mess it up. In the same way, but a little bit different, Evan Roberts. Evan in the Welsh Revival was so determined that he was not going to let anybody get the glory but God. Did you all hear what I said? It's so important to make sure everything that happens everybody's attention keeps being turned toward the Lord and they don't start looking at people, okay? Evan went to great lengths to make sure that wouldn't happen. 
And because these men knew how to handle the presence of God, God gave them amazing revivals that we can learn from. And so time passes. The ark is at Obed-Edom's house. And David begins to hear how Obed-Edom's entire house was so blessed because of the presence of God. And David says, I have got to get the ark here in Jerusalem with me. And so David begins to inquire, how do I get the ark? And he learned from Scripture it needs to be carried by the sons of Aaron. It is not something you put on an ox cart. And so they went there, and every six steps, how many remember Brother Ralph preaching on that here? Every six steps, they would, an offering, and they, they would shed blood, and they would praise and worship, and there was the shofar blasting, and they were bringing in the presence of God into Jerusalem. And whenever the ark came into Jerusalem, David did not have, remember, he wasn't the one to build the temple. It was going to be his son Solomon. So he didn't have a temple to put it in, but he pitched a tent for him. And David began to establish 24-7 praise and worship and prayer around the ark. Why was that so important? Because God had a call on David to see a great revival in Israel and also to conquer the enemies of Israel. And David was very instrumental. The remaining Nephilim that were around were slaughtered under David. Uh, the strongholds were overtaken. David conquered all of his enemies all around. But I promise you this, the power of the presence of God in the midst and people worshiping and praying 24-7 helped assist David. David understood it is not just a physical battle, but it is a spiritual battle. Israel always understood that. That's why they took the ark in the days of Eli. They did it wrong because the Hophni and Phinehas were evil, but they knew that if they brought the ark out into battle and the presence of God came into battle, they would win. But the problem was they had sin in the camp. So Israel always knew that there was a spiritual battle. Does this make sense? Every time that we're going to go to any type of a conflict, that's why the Bible says our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the principalities and powers. There's a wrestling People may be used of the devil to come against you and hate you and try to persecute you or whatever. Pray for them, and God, will, God knows how to deal with those people. They may start going through some things God's going to put them through to sideline them and get them out of the way, but let God do that. Our fight is against the spiritual forces of darkness. Amen? And then David, after he conquered all of his enemies in his day, in 2 Samuel 7, you see that David found rest and peace from his enemies. And what I feel the Lord saying to River of Life, and the reason why God gave me this sermon is this. I strongly feel that God is going to continue to bring his glory in an ever-increasing way. There's going to be a window open that we're going to go through, and then it's going to begin to really open up into a full-on revival, a, a Holy Spirit outpouring, and a harvest of souls. And that's been the word of the Lord over this ministry for a long time. And how many knows that God wants to do it? And let me tell you this, though. I felt, I felt this when I was preparing this sermon. This is what I felt, that in the 90s, we had this incredible revival the glory of God was in, in the midst of God's people. Well, while the glory was there in the 90s revivals, things began to wane. I personally don't feel that it was God's will for things to end up like they did. 
It's like things got sidetracked and things got off and revival began to wane and, and people began to move away from the revival that God had sent. But here's what I feel. God is about to do it again. It's just like David. God, the, the ark of God was lost under Eli's administration. But then God used David and Samuel to bring it back into Jerusalem again. And then there was great rejoicing, there was a great revival, and the enemy was subdued because the presence of God had returned. I feel very strongly like God has not done it all. God's about to resurrect a revival but it's going to be even greater this time. In some ways, I believe that God will move among people that others don't expect him to in places that are unexpected. But God's going to resurrect this revival of the 90s, and it'll be far greater. There'll be a greater anointing for souls. It'll be an anointing for this generation to see a breakthrough, that even those that are the hardest and the most stubborn will get saved. Tremendous healings, people set free. God's going to do it again. And I see that. I see Acts chapter 19, tremendous revival. And so, Father, we thank you for bringing the ark back again, that we're going to see an incredible move of God. We're going to see breakthroughs like never before. It's like the enemy came in like in the days of the Philistines and, and has kind of stolen the ark for a time. But, Lord, now it's time to see the glory come back again and to see great victory. In Jesus' name, let it come. Let there be breakthroughs. We thank you for it. All right, I want to pray for people tonight, and I want the intercessors to really be used of God to pray as well. But if you need something, we'll go through and pray. If you need to be healed of something or you have a specific prayer request, we want to pray for you, okay? But we're going to go through and lay hands on people. My wife and I are going to ask God to move powerfully. You can just put on some worship, if you would, and you can